Hallelujah. You are not excited at all. Can you shout to Jesus? Hallelujah. Man of God, you're welcome. We celebrate you. God bless you so much. Hallelujah. All right, you ready for the word? Can you rejoice to Jesus? We love the word. Tell someone I love the word. Come on, tell someone I love the word. All right, so you can be seated. I'm excited about the word today. Come on. Excited. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Love you. Love you, Lord. Amen. So, we are doing a very important teaching that I wish the whole world could hear this. And I'm glad you're here. We're teaching on the 10 pillars of a disciple's growth. And today I think we're on part, is it part four? Part four, right? Yes. And we've been saying that no Christian or no disciple, you know, we are not just called to be Christians, we are called to be disciples. That's the, that's the real deal. So I love to use disciples more than Christians. The word Christian is used just twice in the Bible. The word disciple is used how many times? I don't know if anybody remembers you can just check through the Bible. The word disciple is used over 60 times. Christian is just used twice. God wants us to be disciples. But you see, on this teaching, I need you to understand that there are 10 pillars that contribute to a disciple's growth. You don't just grow as a Christian. There are many Christians who just think growing as a Christian is a wish. Or something you just wake up to experience. That's a lie. There are pillars that you hold on to that contributes to your spiritual advancement with God. And listen, the next best thing after being born again is spiritual growth. Don't make no mistake about this. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.4 that God who wills that all men be saved, one and to come to the knowledge of the truth too so god wants us to be saved one and arrive at the body of truth that contributes to our spiritual growth and advancement as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby so god wants a, a christian to grow he wants the disciple to grow but growth comes with pillars supporting pillars without these pillars you remain a babe and being a babe is a disadvantage. The reason why your father can send you to buy something for him is because you are no longer a babe. A babe is loved by the father, but as far as missions is concerned, as far as work is concerned, that baby is useless. I have to feed that baby to grow that child before that child can become responsible. So, the means of arriving at being a responsible Christian is growth. So, growth
growing as a Christian is so crucial to God as being a Christian itself. And, and listen carefully. So we said the first pillar of growth is obedience-based word mastery. I'm not just talking about Bible reading. Obedience-based word mastery. You study the word as life. Job said he esteemed the word of God as above his daily food. He esteemed God's word above daily food. What does the word of God mean to you? Is it something you read to satisfy your conscience that you've done a devotion? Or is it something you read as life? You feed on it. We, we do. God doesn't want us to arrive at Bible reading. He wants us to arrive at Bible feeding. The word of God is for us to feed on. He wants us to eat the word. And obey it. And become it. So it's the first pillar. Without the word of God, the disciple has no base. Number two is what? Prayer, fasting, and solitude. We spoke about prayer. It's the second pillar of a disciple's growth. Without prayer, no Christian can grow. Today, go, go over to many churches today. All kinds of prayer you see is God, change my, my life, change my status, change my situation, change my story, God, change my this. We are serving a miracle God, 24-hour God. Everybody's looking for a need from God. Meanwhile, that was not the original intent of prayer. God came into the garden to commune with Adam. There were trees in the garden. There were fruits in the garden. Everything man needed was already in the garden. So if God came to commune with God in prayer, uh, that should tell you that prayer was not first of all designed to meet needs. It was first designed to commune, to fellowship, to have friendship with God. And if your prayer life is not a friendship with God, I can tell you, you are not seeing what God truly intends for you in prayer. Because when a man truly engages fellowship and intimacy with God in prayer, that man will change. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he transfigured. The end goal of communion with God is transformation. And that's what prayer brings to you. It subjects your soul to God. It's easier to obey God when you have a prayer life. It makes the will of God clearer to you. Prayer must be everything in your life, I'm telling you. It is the mother of all manifestations. Prayer is the rails on which the locomotive of God's power moves. If God will want to do anything in your life, it must first begin with prayer, I'm telling you. That's why prayer was an unquestionable part of Jesus' life. It was the most dominant feature in Jesus' life. You find Jesus praying all night. You find him withdrawing himself. Luke 5.16 Often and praying. Because Jesus understood that he leaked every single day. As he ministered to people, virtue went out of him. He confirmed that virtue is gone out of me. Who touched me? I perceive. I sensed it. That means we, we are beings who leak. So anytime we come to God, we get refilled to live life. And that's the place of prayer. We rub our face with God's face. We stay with God until we become like him. And that's what prayer does for us. The third pillar of a disciple's growth is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. 
We explained last week that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not fire. All these things are elements and symbols that describe his function. But the Holy Ghost is a person and he's God. He's not a servant. But his role is service. To serve God's purposes by helping the believer to become a better Christian. And until we recognize the Holy Spirit as a person and as God, our relationship with Him will be half baked. This Holy Ghost is the person, and He lives in you as a Christian. Many Christians live day by day, week by week, month by month, without recognizing this person, without sensing this person. Without knowing that this person is calling for fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see grace attributed to Jesus. The love of God. We see the love of God attributed to the Father. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That means the partnership, the communion, the koinonia, the intimacy between God and man is actually actualized by the Holy Spirit. He makes communion with God possible because we can't see this God so how come you're able to believe him how come you're able to relate with him in a relatable way how come you're able to respond to the fatherhood of God it's the Holy Spirit he's the most important person in your life I'm telling you and there are three things you can do to the Holy Spirit never do it you can grieve the Holy Spirit number one Ephesians 4.30 he says do not grieve the Holy Spirit the word grieve is lupio which means a mental torture it means to, to sadden. It means to make sorrowful. That means a Christian by his actions can make the Holy Ghost sad. He's suppressing. He has a mind, a will, an emotion. You can sadden him by how you live. If you read Ephesians 4.31, it tells you how the Holy Ghost gets sad. He says, let all bitterness. It makes him sad. The more bitterness you keep in your heart, the more you sadden the Holy Ghost. And the more you sadden him, the more silence he becomes. The more silent he becomes, the more disadvantaged you are. So, he says, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. He put away. The word put away means to divorce. We divorce these things with all malice. Every form of wickedness, when it's found in the life of the believer, he grieves the spirit. The second thing you can do to the Holy Spirit is that you can resist the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 7 the verse 51 you can resist the Holy Ghost that means the Holy Ghost has intentions of working something in you but your actions can resist the Holy Spirit from doing it he says he is stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so don't think because the Holy Ghost is God he can have his way no he does not force himself that is why Christians by choice can resist him the third thing he can do to the Holy Spirit is that he can quench him. You can quench the Spirit. First Thessalonians 5, verse 19. You can quench the Holy Spirit. The word quench, quench means to extinguish. If you've used the fire extinguisher before, you understand what it means to quench. Quench not the Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit affects his person. Resisting the Holy Spirit affects his work in you. Quenching the Spirit affects his work through you. So 
so by your actions you can affect the person of the Holy Ghost his work in you and his work through you and that's a serious matter if we want to fellowship with the Holy Spirit we must understand that how we relate with him really matters can go for last, last week's teaching today is also a very important day because what I'm teaching is what I'm going to teach you today is very crucial the fourth pillar of the disciples growth is holiness and Christ like character now this is a very important pillar and like I said these pillars without them you will find it hard to advance as a Christian you will never grow no matter the bible reading you read without these things they must be actively operating in your life so the fourth pillar is what holiness and christ-like character eventually they are the same we're going to see that soon Are we following this thing? You are dead in sin and trespasses. You were alienated from God. You were separated from God. You became a descendant of the fallen man called Adam. You were in darkness. You were a slave and a captive to the devil. You had no hope. You had no life. And God, Ephesians 2.4, who is rich in mercy, according to the great love wherein he has loved us, by grace are you saved. In Christ Jesus, you receive salvation. And God delivered you from the kingdom of darkness, translated you into the kingdom of his dear son, washed you, justified you, glorified you, made you his son made you sit together with him in the heavenly places called you the righteousness of god and made you worthy he made you a holy nation a royal priesthood chosen from out of the world to be god's own people that is what we have in jesus christ that is what god did for us in christ jesus but guess what many christians have thought of how god saves us Many of you know um, how he did it. Many know who they are in Christ Jesus. But have you ever considered why God saved you? Many know how God saved them. Few know why God saved them. If you know how God saved you and how to be saved and don't know why you are saved, there's trouble for you. Dr. Miles Morone of Blessed Memory said, Where ignorance of a thing is, abuse is inevitable. Where the purpose of a thing is not understood, abuse is inevitable. Give a child a phone because the child does not know the purpose of a phone. The child puts the phone in water. 
why he does not know the purpose why the phone was made so to the child what his mind tells him is what he does and many Christians are like children because we don't know uh, the purpose for which God saved us we are abusing that life that is in us when I'm talking of abuse I'm not just talking about sin if you don't pray as a Christian you are abusing your the purpose for which you are called as a Christian so if you are not using what you have to its maximum capacity it's called abuse I'm teaching good here so question why did God save us why did God save us it is not an easy question to answer but we can try and give you some few reasons number one the first reason God saved us is because of his love for us John 3 16 God saved us because of his love for us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life so God saved us because what why because he loves us number one number two he saved us so that we'll be to the praise of his glory he saved us so that we will be to the praise of his glory Ephesians chapter 1 the verse 4 the verse 12 and the verse 16 come to the verse 6 sorry Ephesians 1 6 1 12 and then 1 14 so he says to the praise of his glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved now look at the verse 12 he says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in christ the next one in the verse 16 cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you my prayers now come to the verse 24 all right let's move on with it so god saved us secondly so that we'll be to what what to the praise of his glory what does that mean he first saved us because of his love secondly he saved us because of his pride the first one was because of his what his love now it was because of his praise he finds his honor in saving you so he saved us secondly because of his pride because of his name so he finds pleasure and pride in saving us so his name his pride his honor was in this thing that's to the praise of his glory now the third and most important point here why god saves us and this is what the message is building why holiness is a pillar are you ready for it he saved us number three to be separated unto him in holiness mm. he saved us to be separated unto him in holiness this is so crucial very very crucial And I'm going to use an Old Testament analogy to explain this reality for you. If you want to understand why God saved the Christian, you must first understand why God saved Israel. If you understand that, it will be very easier for you. Israel was in captivity. Remember, God made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob that he was going to make a nation that nation was going to go into captivity for 400 years and he was going to bring them out of captivity and it came to pass Israel was in captivity 
for 430 years and God sent a deliverer who brought them out why did God save them number one reason why God saved Israel was because he remembered his covenant he made a promise that's number one number one he made a promise you can see that in Exodus chapter 6 the verse 5 he says, and also I've heard the groaning of the children of Israel from whom Egyptians were in bondage, keep in bondage. I have what? Remembered my covenant. He made a promise to Abraham. So the first reason why he saved them was because he remembered the covenant. He made a promise to Abraham. So he had to fulfill it because God cannot lie. The second reason why God saved Israel was because he loved Israel and had compassion for them in their bondage and affliction. Please follow. I see some people dozing off. If you doze for the second time, I'll mention your name. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 3, the verse 7. He loved them and had compassion upon them. Look, he says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So, what God was secondly moved by compassion. First, he was moved by his promise. Secondly, moved by compassion. What was the third reason why God saved Israel? And that is what Christianity is all about. God saved Israel because he wanted a people for himself. Who would be separated from the rest of the world and live unto him. Let me repeat that again. The third reason why God saved Israel was that he wanted a people for himself only. Remember the world had gone wayward by then because of the fall of man. So God wanted a people for himself who will be separated from the rest of the world and live unto him. So Israel was the only nation that God chose for himself. And the purpose of choosing them was to separate them from the rest of the world so that Israel will live unto God. Exodus chapter 14, the verse 5 and 6. He says, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh retained against people, and they said, Why have we done this? Come to the verse 6. Exodus 19, sorry, you can change it. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. He says, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above what? All people for all the earth is mine. Look at the verse 6. He says, And ye shall be unto me what? A kingdom of priests. Now, you, you know that the priests were from Levi. God's original intention was not to make only Levites priests. If you read Exodus chapter, chapter 32, 34 you're going to realize that from the chapter 32 actually into 34 Moses went to the mountain to receive the commandments and Israel disobeyed God by making graven images of a calf image of a calf and they worship the calf Moses came down when Moses came down he broke the Ten Commandments and then he said whoever is on the lost side should be here do you know the only group of people that came Levite God gave everybody the equal chance of choosing the lost side. 
and it was only levy that came to the lord's side and this promise that was for all became theirs didn't get this thing and this is only a typology in the new testament the whole world is part of the 12 when we make the decision of choosing jesus we are on the lord's side that's why we are priests unto god So say, I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the Lord's side. Your decision to believe Jesus was you choosing to be on the Lord's side. The rest of them decided not to go. That was how come Levi became the kingdom of priests. So God's intention was to separate Israel and make them a peculiar nation and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Are you seeing that? So that was the third reason why God saved them. To make them a peculiar people. A kingdom of priests and a what? in a holy nation but hear this follow this teaching carefully so when God sent Moses Moses went to give them the good news that God wants to bring you out of captivity and send you to a promised land a land that flows with milk and honey when you go you can read um, Exodus 4 17 where you go you can go and read it because of time so Moses went and told Israel that God is going to set you free and when he sets you free he's not only going to set you free he's going to do what bring you to a land that flows with what milk and what honey now never think that the milk and honey was literal milk and honey on the land there are many of you who have not been taught well you were thinking the promised land had literal milk and literal honey that is not true the land flowing with milk and honey was a type a typology of a land that was very fruitful that means if you plant a seed if it should, if it should take three months it will take two months or one month and when the seed grows into a fruit the fruit is heavy remember that when Israel went to spy the land they brought just one fruit they had to carry that fruit on a stick one fruit so it was a very fruitful land that's the land flowing with milk and honey are you getting this? this is a bible school so they had and look look you have been it for 430 years and a deliverer comes to you and says to you that I am bringing you out freedom that is beautiful not only am I bringing you out to be free I am bringing you into a new place do you see to them then that was gospel that was something that was too good to be true because I'm suffering now you set me free not only freedom I, I am on a new land that's the same gospel we hear which is good news too good to be true Jesus died. You just have to believe you are free from sin. And you don't have a land flowing with milk and honey. You are in a person. His name is Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That is too good to be true. But that was only the first part of the whole bargain. It was their freedom. That was the first thing. That was the first thing the good news gave. Their freedom from captivity and the new place God was taking them. But guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? The moment they came out of Egypt, 
God's intention was fully known that actually it was not just only your freedom and the new place I'm bringing you into now God updated the bargain and said if you shall, you shall hearken unto my voice so now that they were saved God further explained the reason why they are saved they are saved to obey So you hear the good news of the finished work of Jesus. He said, are you sure Jesus did that for me? He said, yes, he did that for you. I believe. I'm in Christ Jesus. And God says the same thing to you. And in that voice of God, he gave to them instructions. And that instruction was supposed to be the outline of their call to holiness now listen to this carefully God saves us and calls us with a holy calling that is the conclusion of all what I just said 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 the verse 9 and 10 look at the verse 9 he says sorry sorry 2nd Timothy 2nd Timothy chapter 1 the verse 9 look he says who has saved us number one and did what called us with a holy calling so we are not only saved we are called with a holy calling that call is to live a holy life hmm, I don't know if somebody is getting something here so we are saved and called to holiness First Thessalonians chapter 4 the verse 7 this is good we are getting somewhere for God has not called us unto uncleanness but unto holiness so holiness is a call it's a call tell someone it's a call so we are called to holiness you know you are a Christian you can hear Christians say for me I don't have the call of God you are just you lack grammar there is no Christian who has no call you can write this down so when you find a Christian who says for me I don't have a call you should know that Christian is actually devoid of understanding there is no Christian who has no call there's no Christian without a call so if you think okay for me I don't know whether I'm a prophet or not just know that you are called to holiness <laughs> hallelujah so we are called holy and we are called to be holy this is interesting we are called holy and we are called to be holy they are not the same you being called holy is a reality you did not work for it came with salvation you are called holy so you are holy you being called to be holy is actually something you do in partnership with God and it requires your obedience and effort I'm going to share some wonderful things with you that will change your life forever now look at Romans chapter 6 verse 19 Romans 6 19 let's we, we want to decode we want to we want to decode this thing look he says I speak after the man of men because of the infirmity of your flesh as for he says, for as ye have what? 
yielded the members of your body servants to uncleanness that's your former state because you are without Christ you yielded the members the parts of your body to be a member to partake in unclean practices he says unto iniquity unto iniquity even so now yield your members what servants toward righteousness and the effect is going to be what holiness this is serious so when a believer yields the part of his body as an instrument of righteousness it eventually becomes what holiness Romans chapter 12 the verse 1 he says I beseech thee according to the mercies brethren by the mercies of God that he would present the word present also means to offer your what your what your bodies a what living sacrifice what 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 holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable now look at that in amplified No. so he says let's read from the B as living sacrifice holy what's the meaning of holy there devoted or consecrated and well pleasing to God which is your reasonable rational intelligent that means when a believer is not using his body as a presentation to God that believer is irrational and unintelligent so we need to be able to define intelligence according to God's standard and human standard. Can you ask the person sitting beside you, how intelligent are you before God? <laughs> this is a big question that must be answered. So there are many irrational believers in this house irrational unintelligent spiritually bombolic we don't beg here I feel the Holy Ghost as I'm teaching this thing is that thing working he said rational intelligent service and what spiritual worship i'm sure you are thinking as you are here that worship is we give you glory lord as we honor you we give you glory lord as we honor you oh Ray, you are one <laughs> So after 10 minutes, what just happened? Oh, we just worship God. We just worship God. I told you of a man who went for some meeting, pastor's meeting somewhere, right? And then when they were doing worship session, and one of the pastors was, he was in the spirit glorifying God, and then he was passing beside a guy to go and sit down, and he stepped on the guy's leg, and the guy opens, are you a fool? You are stupid. Move out. And he said, sorry, sir. Then he sat down and the guy switched. He said, we bless your name, Father. We give you glory. And the man couldn't worship again, was watching how the guy switched. 
any. So, this scripture is saying, worship is not what you do with your mouth only. It is what you do with your entire life. So, can I tell you something? You are not in a worship service. After worship service, you are still in worship. So, when you leave this building, as you are going down, as you are moving, it's still worship. The phone calls you do is worship. How you relate to the brethren is worship. How you relate to the, your boss at work is worship. Many don't know. That's why he said the father seeketh true worshippers. In the Old Testament, worship was done in a location. Go and check it. And Jesus said, a time is coming when they will never worship in where? The mountains or in the temple. For the hour and time is now when the true worshippers will worship what is the lo new location. In spirit and in truth, it was not translated well. The word spirit and truth. Now, the word truth there in Greek is aletheia. That word truth aletheia means reality or realm. So he's saying that they will worship in the spirit realm or in the spirit reality so in the new testament worship is not in a location or a temple in the new testament worship is in a realm and you are in that realm because you are in the spirit I'm teaching good here so he says you offer present your body as living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable worship so we need to understand that holiness in itself is worship oh my goodness now let me break this thing down this has been the problem of the church. By the time I'm done breaking this thing, nobody will argue again. Because, you know, there are people who know so much about the finished work. When someone says, Jesus, I want to be like you. It says, damn! You want to be like Jesus? You don't know scriptures? We already like Jesus. Damn, once again. And when someone says, I'm already like Jesus. And someone says, Hey, don't say that. Nobody, <laughs> nobody can become like Jesus. Who am I? Who are you? So, that man <laughs> is also, see, both of them have a problem. One thinks that he looks like Jesus positionally. The other thing that he must look like Jesus experientially. They are both not wrong, but if they don't take care, they will both be wrong. So, we need to understand that when we combine these two realities, we will have good Christian life. We are like Jesus, becoming like Jesus.
this in the context of my teaching we are holy becoming holy if you don't get this thing I just said you will struggle as a Christian and I'm going to show you why I'm saying that now I need to explain holiness to you in two lights so that we don't live here with confused people are you following this thing now it's the same thing I'm going to share but I'm putting it in different terms we have perfect holiness and we have perfecting holiness everything I'm going to share is the same thing but I've given it different names we have what perfect holiness and we have what perfecting holiness that means you need to understand holiness as something that has been perfected in your life first then you also need to understand holiness as a thing being perfected in your life as a Christian so perfect holiness is already accomplished by Jesus perfecting holiness is accomplished in the energy of the Holy Ghost by you let me give you scriptures on perfect holiness Hebrews chapter 10 the verse 10 and 14 you'll be blessed today I'm telling you look he says by which will we are what sanctified the word sanctified means made holy he didn't try anything he didn't do anything you were made holy God made you holy he says by the which will we are sanctified now look at the context so you don't get confused how are we sanctified through what the offering of the body of Jesus now remember we read in Romans 12 saying we should offer our body he's telling you that Christ first offered his body to make you holy now you offer your body to confirm that holiness so whenever you now begin to think that when you are offering your body that is when you are truly actually holy you are wrong one had to offer his body before you had the right to offer yours meaning what you do with your body will mean nothing to God until you know what Christ did with his body for you here so he says by the which will we are made holy through what the offering now first of all how are you made holy by the offering of the body of Jesus and not by the offering of your body look at the verse 14 look for by one offering whose offering Jesus offering on the cross he had what perfected forever them that are what sanctified This word is too heavy. Now, when you are reading your Bible, you have to consider grammar. Because some of you, grammar has always been your demon. The demon following you is grammar. You're mistaking past tense for present tense, and that is what that is what has put you into bondage. Because when you miss one grammatical language, you can miss a whole truth that will affect you for the rest of your life. again one two go for by one offering he has no 
So if you're a Bible student, be very careful what you are reading and how you are reading. He has what? He has perfect. He has perfect. He has what? Which means it is done. Listen, if you are reading your Bible, especially New Testament epistles, you must find out what was done and what must be done. What has been done cannot be undone. It is what must be done. That must be done. Meaning, if God says he has made you righteous in Christ, you cannot undo it to do yours. That doesn't become a finished work again. It becomes a refurbished work. So, now, follow this thing carefully. He says, for by one offering, he has what? Perfected when? Oh, he has perfected it for 24 hours, right? And this is where a lot of people who are legalistic are finding it hard to believe. How has God perfected you? Forever. Your holiness is perfected forever. You are holy forever. In Christ, through his offering. Shout, I'm holy. Shout, I'm holy. Rejoice, you are holy. So you understand that? That is what this holiness is called what? perfect holiness. And we have what? Perfecting holiness. Now, come to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the verse 1. And this is where we are going, we are going to solve that whole struggle. Because a Christian will now ask, if I've been perfected sanctify and I have perfect holiness forever why is there a need for me to do anything called holiness this is where we are confused so some have taken this thing to the extreme saying there is nothing to do why because we already been perfected and this is where the issue is now he says therefore having these promises where will you find that promise you will find it in 2nd Corinthians 6 from 14 to the end so he's saying therefore anytime you see the word therefore you must find out what it was there for so when he's saying therefore that means you, you must go and find out what he said before he's saying therefore but I don't have that time because I've talked on that already He's saying, having this promise, dearly beloved, let us what? Cleanse ourselves. We just read in Hebrews 10, 10 that he has sanctified us through the offering of, of the body of Jesus. Now he's saying we should cleanse ourselves. Are you getting this thing? So he says, cleanse ourselves from what? All filthiness of flesh and spirit. Doing what? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, this is no longer what has been done for you in Christ. This is what you are to be doing because you have been empowered by Christ. You know, most of you are just enjoying, Lord, I'm sorry, please. It won't happen again. Cleanse me. It doesn't work that way. You cleanse yourself go into the word after apologizing to the Holy Ghost go into the word because it says thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against me 
listen when you sin continuous then you enjoy what you're doing as a sin the problem is that you have already been forgiven by christ i didn't say it the scripture said it and by that it is not going to affect your salvation but you see your life as a christian will remain small number two you become useless in god's purposes when you read second timothy 2 21 he's saying that let us cleanse ourselves from the latter and he described two houses he says there are different vessels vessels of gold used for honor vessels of asanka used for dishonor he calls it eating worse so in god's house god's kingdom there are two groups of people people who are used for honorable purposes and those who are used for dishonorable purposes if you go to your house now there are some things you use to serve people who are important to you when a president is coming to eat in your house do you give him the asanka you'll be using the house but if some local friend that you don't even book comes to your house, you give him a sanka challenge. In God's kingdom, also, when there are honorable purposes, there are people he will use. And the condition is that you, you must purify yourself to be able to meet that requirement. So you that Christian is always crying. You will go and cry. You will go and cry. You will go and cry. Continue. The other thing that will happen to you is that you will defy your soul to the extent that you cannot be able to advance in your work with God. Your soul will be affected. Sin destroys the soul of the believer. I'm telling you. Very soon, sin will not be a sin to you again. And you're in trouble. I'm teaching you. Now, the next point. Look, look, look at this. Next point. There is holiness which we receive. And there is holiness which we strive for. The same thing. <laughs> hmm. Holiness we do what? Receive. And holiness we strive for. When you received Christ, you received the person of holiness. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 1.30. Oh, this thing is a good thing. I love I love what is going on in the spirit. He says, but of him ye are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. That means Christ is made unto us, first of all, wisdom and righteousness. Those of you who are following the Bible plan, I know you are reading Proverbs 8 and 9. And when you are reading that, you are going to see wisdom talking, right? That wisdom there is Christ. So whatever you see wisdom saying, who is saying it? It's Christ. You look at the language. He says, I was there when Christ, when God was creating he is telling you that wisdom is Christ. He says, I have riches on my left. I have long life. It is Christ he's talking about. Anyway, by the way. He says, and what? Righteousness and what? Sanctification. That word sanctification is holiness. So Christ has been made unto us what? Holiness. That's the holiness we received. And there is holiness we do what? We strive for. Hebrews chapter 12, the verse 14. Now, give that to me in NLT. NLT, uh, this one uses follow. Give me um, NIV. Look. <laughs> Before you come there, give me the KJV first. He says, follow what? Peace with all men. And what? Holiness without which what no man shall see the lord now probably let me explain that a little so you don't get confused 
You know that people say, without holiness, you can't see God. You can't see God. That means you never see God in your life. Now, that's not what the Bible is saying here. Because actually, you need to see God before you can be holy. The reason why you are living a holy life is because what? You have seen God. So, you are, we have to understand the context of this scripture. He's saying, follow peace with all men. Now, the word end there, actually, it means that is in this context. It is not separating the two. So he's saying, follow peace with all men. That is holiness. Without which, no man. That man is not you. That man is other men who are not believers. So he's saying, follow peace with all men, which is holiness. If you don't do this, without that, other men, no man, will be able to see God like the way you have seen him. because now what is the criteria for judging who sees God if people think that okay seeing God there is like you see God because the person saying that you can't see God has not even seen God and the truth of the matter is that we see God only in Christ it is only after you have seen God that you can actually pursue holiness so the seeing God here is not you actually seeing God the seeing God here is other people by your character seeing God. I don't get, are you getting this thing? So he's saying follow peace. The word follow them is pursue. Look at NIV. He says make every effort. So there is holiness which you received and there is holiness which you now strive for. Make every effort. I'm going to explain this thing very soon make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy in that peace you are making with people he says without holiness no one will see the Lord you will be a blockage to people also experiencing Jesus so this one is not just about you it's about others that lose just by you being unholy in your practice is it too hard? Good. So we can proceed, right? Good. Next point. There is positional holiness and there is experiential holiness. I'm explaining the same thing. But I have to, I have to explain all this in different lights so you can, you, can, you can understand it. There is positional holiness and there's what? Experiential holiness. Today we have people just jumping, shouting, I am holy, I am holy. Yet when you look into their life, there is nothing that proves that holiness. I am holy, I am holy, but he can lie without feeling anything. I am holy, we are being holy, we are perfected in holiness. No evidence. His holiness is only positional. But there is no experience in it. Nobody is seeing anything. It has not been actualized. Let me give you scriptures to support that. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4, the verse 24. So this is positional holiness. He says, and that you put on the new man. So this is something you have put on. Which is after God. It is the very nature of God. Created in what? 
righteousness and what? True holiness. So you have been created in true holiness. This is a positional reality you have in Christ Jesus. Is it clear? When he spoke about the positional holiness, that you have been created in true holiness. Now look at the next verse. The next verse is now coming to tell you experiential holiness. He says, wherefore, putting away lying. So if you have been created in righteousness and true holiness, which is positional, the next verse, he says, make it experiential by not lying. Speak the truth with your neighbor. And look at the next verse. He says, be angry, but do not sin. He's not explaining what? Explaining what? Experiential holiness. Let what the sun go down to your road. There are people who fight with people and it is three days, four days, even one year. Same house with a person. Hey! And you pray in the morning. You feel okay. You are quarreling with the person. And then it's, you do your devotion. Yes, Ah, is it God you are praying to? You are not talking to your roommate. If I go, it will be like he has won. We are proud. Listen, when you walk with the Holy Spirit, he'll break you into pieces. He has broken me, broken me. I've lost my pride. If I do something against you and you come to me and tell me, I, I can tell you. God is my witness. I can kneel down and apologize to you and not feel anything inside me. That's the extent to which God has worked on my heart. I won't say I'm a head pastor, so if I'm wrong, uh, how, who gave you the right and the chance to uh, even think of imagining such a thing that I could do this to you? Who, who the hell do you think you are? No, I can't do that. He says, look, why the scriptures? He said, don't let the sun go down to your wrath. That means something else follows. That is demonic when the sun goes down to it. So the grace period you have for a grudge is what? The next morning. So God will give you grace period. You have only 24 hours to make up with somebody. I'm talking to some people here. And those I'm talking to are in nose mask. Hey! Ha! I've told you several times how sometimes my wife and I can have an argument. The next morning, now, who must speak? When I speak, I will seem low. Then, my dear, I was saying, what's that? <laughs> you don't understand this thing. When you're working with the Holy Ghost, and you're a man, you're a man, you're a Holy Ghost in him. You are not a man. See, when you're relating to the Holy Ghost, you must be a boy. You must behave like a child. That's when the Holy Ghost can be able to use you. I'm a child before him. That's why I cry. Some of you think I'm a, a weeping prophet. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Papa, I cry on us. No. I'm not emotional like that, though. But the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Oh, you see, most of the strongest men of God are the weakest men of God before God. I'm telling you, a man that will gain strength before God is a man that is always weak before Him. 
and I'm telling you between me and the Holy Ghost I have a soft heart like I have a soft spot for the Holy Ghost he can temper with me oh yes he can temper that's why I cry like that because I'm tender before him so listen that rocky that ro rocky fella spirit that is inside you that you think you are boss with so we wake up in the morning everybody's looking at each other the Holy Ghost is waiting. You finish the devotion. You finish the devotion. You don't understand. The Holy Ghost will spoil you. You tear you apart. You lose yourself. Have you forgotten when he said, when John said, he must increase, I must decrease. To many Christians, it's the opposite. You have so much increase that Christ is so small inside you. He's so small. I'm sure someone says, Papa, you, you are too open. Sometimes I say, hey, pastor, you have to, you know, sometimes compose. Don't, don't be too, when you open to people and you, you do that too much, they will take you for granted. Take me for granted. me that's that's the extent to which the holy ghost has made me it can't nothing can change again i don't fear reputation again because he has taken away my reputation if you have a reputation that's when you think you can keep it if you don't have one he'll give you one until you have made an allowance for people to disrespect you and you are okay with it you are not ready to be used have allowance for people to step on you for people to dis have allowance make allowance for it I went to a place and the minister that was the person that was coming to introduce me he didn't know me well so when he introduced we have a wonderful brother in the house and he's here to be a blessing to us uh, please what's the name again uh, brother Isaac love and then Papo me brother wow somebody would have been offended and it will affect his preaching in Acts 9 go and read it when the light struck on Paul and Paul became blind he asked Jesus Lord who are you you know Jesus replied I thought Jesus was coming to say that I am the one that created you in your mother's womb. The king of kings. The lord of laws. So, me. And I'm a boy. What? Who am I? Jesus didn't do that. You know what? The reply of Jesus. Jesus said, Who are thou, Lord? He said, I am. I am Jesus. Hey! When I read, I was afraid to even use the title to introduce myself to somebody Jesus said I am Jesus who am I to say I am prophet so if you call me prophet Papo, it's because you want to honor me so that I don't become common before all that's fine but to me in my eyes I am small I am Isaac 
if I don't train myself that way I am telling you I will be positional and title conscious without anointing there are people carrying titles yet there is no power in their ministry and that day when I held the microphone they saw brother Isaac as prophet Isaac saw healings, miracles prophetics when we closed nobody called me brother <laughs> but I was okay with it anyway ego will always be in the way between you and the Holy Ghost write that down ego will always be in the way in your relationship with God we said that there is positional holiness and there's what experiential holiness now look at first timothy we are going to look at experiential first timothy 2 the verse 3 no 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 titus 2 3 good he says the agent women likewise that they be in what in what behavior as what becometh holiness so this holiness here is holiness in behavior this is good let's look at the next point so now this thing we are talking about now is first of all holiness positional holiness is what we are experiential holiness is what we are to become next point there is the root of holiness and there is the fruit of holiness there is the root of holiness and there is the fruit of holiness I want to explain this thing and kill this whole thing so that you don't hear someone saying that so if we are already made holy why should God require holiness from us then the purpose of you being the root of holiness is so that you produce the fruit of holiness and the fruit is what produces what gives evidence to that root so if you say you are holy and there is nothing showing forth you are lying, you are fake are we good to go? so the root of holiness what Christ has made you in him, the reason why it's a root is because it is, it, it is inside Christ it is rooted and grounded in Christ now the fruit of holiness look at Romans 6 22 we are going to see the fruit of holiness there he says now be made free from sin and become servants to God ye have your fruit unto that holiness now this is so critical he says you have fruit unto holiness and the end is everlasting life so the roots of your holiness which you have in Christ must produce what? fruit unto holiness next point we have holiness as a nature and we have holiness as a conduct or practice hmm.
Now quickly, let's look at holiness as a nature. First Peter 2 9. He says here, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a what? A holy nation. So you are you are holy. Next point, Hebrews 3.1. Let's do it quickly. Hebrews 3.1. He says, What for what? Holy brethren. Holy brethren. The brethren in Christ is holy. That is his nature. So the Bible calls you a holy brethren. And you may not be walking in holiness, yet he calls you holy. Because that's how he sees you in Christ. Holy. Is it clear at all? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the verse 17. It's too beautiful, eh? 1 Corinthians 2, 17. 3, 17. Look, he says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is what? Holy, which temple you are. So if God's temple is holy, which temple you are, then you are holy. Now, we have shown you the holiness as a nature. Now, let's look at holiness as conduct. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.10. I'm solving a very major doctrinal issue because if you want to understand this pillar, you need to understand what I'm teaching now. He says, ye are witnesses. That means these people saw it. They didn't hear it. They did what? They saw it. He says, and God also, how what? Holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believed. So this is holiness as what? As what? Conduct, as a behavior. Finally, we have holiness in spirit and we have holiness in body. And you'll be shocked this is in Bible. First Corinthians 7.34 It's good to read the Bible. You see so many things there. Look, he says there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cared for the things of the Lord. That she, the unmarried woman cared for the things of, of the Lord that she may be holy both in in body and in spirit second peter 3:11 oh this is serious he says seen them that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you be? In all holy word, conversation here is not me talking to you. The word conversation actually means behavior. Give that to me in NLT so they understand it. That's why it's good to have, have other versions when you're reading your Bible. If you use English to read the Bible, you'll be in trouble. You know, in Philippians 3, 20, the Bible says, our conversation is in heaven. When you read another version, it says our citizenship. So that conversation dead uh, is actually citizenship. So he says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and what godly life should you live? 
I'm sure we're going to continue next week. So, what is the base for this teaching? That you must first understand your positional holiness before you can have the experiential. You must first accept and believe your holiness which you have received before outworking that which you should become. Until you have understood your holiness that has been perfected already, you cannot perfect your holiness. So one is the ground, the base, the foundation. The other is what you build on. Because you cannot live in a foundation. Can you live in a foundation? You can live in a house. So that means that foundation must be built. And there are many Christians who are sleeping in their foundation. I am holy. That is only foundational. Do you eat a root? Or you eat fruit? So are you getting this thing? So many are staying in the reality of who they are positionally. Not knowing who they are to become experientially. So listen. There are two extremes. There are people who think that holiness is only positional. Therefore, there is nothing to be done. That believer will become licentious and you become lazy in Christ. And there are those also who believe that holiness is what they must do by their effort. Else, they'll be cast in hell. That one also is law and legalism. So there are people who say, if you don't wear duku, that means God does not answer your prayer. That one is not holiness. Duku is not holiness. If you wear trouser, you are going to hell. Where did we get this thing from? So people have raised cults out of this. So people think holiness is in dressing in as much as we are to appear modestly. Our holiness is not found in dressing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So it's not when you wear this, then see, holiness is not appearance, the dress you are wearing. No, it is beyond that. If you appear modest, it is very good. If you wear a scarf because you want to protect your head and your hair, it's okay. If you wear a scarf because you think God will accept you by that, that is not okay. God does not accept scarves. He accepts blood, which is the blood of Jesus. That is what qualified everyone to be holy. I don't know if I'm making sense here. So today people have defined holiness by some strange doctrines. I don't know where these people got this thing from because we can't find it here in the New Testament. Some people go and take something from Deuteronomy without understanding the context. The, the, the doctrine that was built on women not wearing trousers is on Deuteronomy something where it says, Do not wear that which pertaineth unto a woman, unto a man. So, because of that, they said that means a woman should not wear a man's dress. Unfortunately, people were not wearing trousers in the Old Testament. 
most of them it was overall gowns that they put on like jalabia type of dressing the word pertaineth means belongs what the bible was saying as a law is that if this dress has been worn by a man his what is in it it belongs to him you don't go and take that dress the man has worn and wear that dress so it's not just trousers what a man has worn and belongs to him you can't have it that's what the bible is saying if not scottish people who wear skirts cannot go to heaven are you getting this thing so listen now this is very important so holiness must first be understood as a positional reality we have in christ and on account and the strength of that position and that nature we are to produce living fruit evidence of that reality and if we don't produce that evidence also we are fake so the root and the fruit are both important but they standing alone can bring trouble they must never stand alone I don't know if you are getting this thing if your positional holiness stands alone you will be licentious you think it is okay to sin because you are made righteous in Christ whatever you do doesn't matter it will lead you into sin if your positional realities remain alone and if you think that the work you must do as a believer stands alone that means that you must use every effort every effort strive every effort Lord I want if that one stands alone also you become a legalistic believer that's when you see people who are not doing what you are doing you become like Jonah the Lord will punish you so we have groups of people who have taken one and they have run to the extreme with it you can never take one of these alone alone on themselves are corrupting but when they are together I am holy therefore I can be holy I have the nature of holiness therefore being holy shouldn't be a problem and look 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 you go to a school that has given you admission and they gave you uniform to wear you said you wear it but you like the school that's what many Christians are doing you have been admitted you say you love admission in heaven heaven has a uniform that uniform is holiness you want to be in the school but you don't want to wear their uniform and the uniform is how they identify the school you belong to because there's another school which is the school of hell they also have their uniform so if you don't wear it how will we be able to identify which school you belong to whether it's db or it's akatoe school you know akatoe school it's called saito cytosis who went to a saito school here oh we have many of you here we give glory to god for your life how many went to a db school here hey elijah your hand is up wow oh that, i didn't know i didn't know because your current life doesn't look like <laughs> let's <laughs> let's let's continue 
Oh, okay. Uh, let's, let's. Okay. 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 Hallelujah. So, you are holy in Christ. Tell someone you are holy. Yet you have to become holy. Tell the person. Next week, I'm going to ex- explain further. Are you blessed? All right, can you appreciate Jesus?